welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And I'm a leprechaun. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, um, I don't care for the acronyms. I don't know about the depiction of magical peoples with a capital P. So, folks, we're talking about Artemis Fowl today, and um, mm-hmm. this is timely because the movie that I think they were trying to make for approximately 47 years finally just dropped on the Disney Plus, correct? This is correct, yeah. So, we are dropping this on a Tuesday. The movie came out on Friday. If you have not watched the movie because it is so fresh, we're probably going to say save yourselves that 95 minutes yeah it's one of the most incoherent 94 (laughs) minutes of my life just to be clear (laughs) yeah and you know brenna and i frequently chat throughout the week as we're preparing for the episode just giving each other like a a heads up about where our heads are at and we for sure texted back and forth while we were each respectively watching this movie yeah folks i'm not gonna lie i think this may be one of the worst movies we have ever covered on this podcast I have pinpointed the single worst moment of my life, and it is seeing (laughs) Dame Judi Dench land her rocket spaceship while dressed (laughs) as some sort of armored green leprechaun. Yeah. Yeah, they all look like beetles. And when she opens the hatch, she says, top of the morning to ye. What do they have on Judi Dench? What do they have on her? They have something. Oh, the blackmail levels are off the charts with Judy Dench this year. Because somehow they got her to make that Cats movie, and then somehow they made her make this movie. I forgot she was in Cats. Oh, Mm -hmm. gosh. Like, every time I saw her face on screen, I felt bad. Because she's better than this movie. She is, although you would not know it from this movie. Because (laughs) I also don't know that I've ever seen a worse performance from Dame Judy Dench. It's not just that the movie is bad. She is bad. She herself is personally bad. There are no saving graces in this film. No, she is doing this accent that sounds like Robert De Niro doing an Irish cop doing Judi Dench Mm -hmm. somehow. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's very bad and very confusing. And clearly so much money was spent on this film and there are moments where you're like wow the visuals are really there and then someone opens their mouth yeah yeah this is one of those things where i'll be interested to revisit this in 10 years with you brenna where we can say how have these visuals aged because it looks okay now but i'm interested to see how it looks down the road but you know what we're also not there yet because first we have to tell folks what is this artemis fowl book and why did they even spend 125 million dollars on this adaptation good question questions all around i mean no one's going to be able to answer that second question but what is this (laughs) book about brenna um artemis fowl is a fantasy novel and i would say it's pretty clearly a middle grade fantasy novel and i think we might be We've, we've asked all these questions about where are the books for boys. I think this is definitely marketed as a capital B book for capital B boys. Yeah. It did not connect with me for a bunch of reasons. But yeah, <laughs> so it's written by, I think, Ian Colfer is how you pronounce that. Um, he's Irish. I think so. 
Yeah. And uh, he spells his name quite Irishly. <laughs> oh, that wasn't bad. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Any Irish listeners are like, can you please never do that again? <laughs> I mean, it's either you or Dame Judy Dench. Oh, God. You can't convince me Dame Judy Dench doesn't know how to do an Irish accent. I don't understand what was happening. Anyway, okay. Back, I mean, back to it the sounds book. like she practiced linguistically <laughs> with the Lucky Charms mascot. <laughs> The author of this book describes Artemis Fowl as diehard with fairies, which I feel like tells you basically everything you need to know about it, except that it's less fun than that sounds. And maybe warn some of you away. Yeah, it's something. So, okay, so Artemis Fowl is the protagonist as well as the name of the book, and he's 12 years old, and he's like a genius master criminal, apparently. And he leads his family's criminal empire. There have been criminals in his family for generations. Yes. And then he has an absent father, probably dead. Yes, suspected dead, yes. killed by Russian mobsters. And his mother is sort of not coping Comatose. well with the grief. And she's, yeah, she wavers between like incoherent and basically comatose. Um, so he's mostly, quote unquote, raised, not really, by a man named Butler. Bodyguard mm-hmm. is named Butler, and he has a sister named yes. Juliet, and they live with Artemis. Juliet is not a fully fleshed out human being, and that is the last time no. I'll mention her in the synopsis. I mean, in both cases, this is yeah. a character who seemingly doesn't need to exist. Maybe she will in future books, because of course we are talking about a franchise, and these characters will evolve. As always, we are not talking about those other texts. No. And we won't have to, because no other book will get adapted. <laughs> So the heist that we enter into the book in the middle of is Artemis Fowl obtaining a book called The Book of the People, which is a fairy holy book written in Gnomish, which he can read because he has fancy translating software. And he's a super genius. This is one of those books, though, by the way, that is very 2001 in that it needs to tell us explicitly every Apple product being used at any moment in the book. It reminds me of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. If you read that, it's like, he MacBooked his MacBook MacBookingly. (laughs) (laughs) Hacker stuff. I mean, if you're you're wanting to be cutting edge in either the hacker world or the crime syndicate world, apparently Macintosh products are your way to go. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so anyway, it just cracked me up because I haven't seen a book do that quite so explicitly since The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. So it's funny yeah. that this book shares something with, with that one. You mean this book for 11 and 12 year olds? Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Bye Mac, kids. Bye Mac Young. <laughs> so alongside this heist narrative, we have Captain Holly Short, who is... Oh, I'm really sorry to do this, Joe. She is a member of LEP Recon, Mm-mm. which stands for Lower Elements Police Recon, which is what leprechauns are, if you didn't mm-hmm. know. And so she has um, sort of technical backup in a centaur named Foley. That would be like naming a human kid Childy, just for the record. Like, yeah, it's um, it's a little on the nose. A little on the or nose. maybe on all four feet. <laughs> And she has a commander named Julius Root. And so she ends up kind of tasked with finding out what's going on with this Artemis Fowl dude. And uh, so she does that. There are a lot of action scenes 
there's a dwarf who poops clay for some reason. Uh, that was the most middle grade fiction element for me. I was like, are we just doing a long con with a poop joke here? Yes? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Anyway, the whole thing is a trap to trap Holly because Artemis wants to collect the ransom. And then he does, but he makes a wish. And Holly's like, I'll give you anything. And he's like, cure my mom. And she's like, okay, I guess we never see that conversation take place. And then Mm. uh, at the end, he gives Holly back half the gold so that she can keep the fairies happy. But he takes the other half of the gold. And also his mom is fixed the end. (laughs) <laughs> but you left out the time barrier I absolutely and the did because I didn't understand it at all <laughs> <laughs> I mean basically yeah like a lot of heist narratives there's a ticking clock element over the duration of this book which more or less takes place in about a 20 hour period mm-hmm. not even it's like a 12 hour period mm-hmm. really because mm-hmm. Holly gets captured and then they erect the fairies or these are they fairies or are they leprechauns or are they both? Well, I think fairy is like all... We just don't know, do we? <laughs> all leprechauns are fairies, but not all fairies are leprechauns because the uh, dwarves are also fairies. Okay. And the centaurs are fairies. I think I just had a small aneurysm. <laughs> so the fairy is the overarching category into which leprechaun and dwarves and centaurs and right other things fit magical people with a capital p magical people with a capital p okay so basically it's a heist the fairy people are trying to prevent artemis from either escaping or doing anything to holly because the other big conflict in this book is that people as in above ground people such as humans do not know about the existence of fairies who live below Earth and have their own complete unique civilization and rules and all this stuff, and they can't afford to be seen at any point. The fairies work really hard to keep human beings unaware. So they do things like memory wiping magic and Mm -hmm. time-stopping magic so that they can intervene if it seems like they're about to be discovered. Yes, which is like what we see with the troll that Holly initially goes above ground to capture and bring back before it destroys too much human property. And then, of course, what they have to do to Artemis so that they can negotiate with him because his big threat is not just, oh, I've got this member of your armed forces, but also that I'm going to reveal the existence of your entire population to people if you don't give me all this gold. And really, that's the entire book like it's just a long series of action sequences and some Mm -hmm. negotiations and root being very gruff and annoying with everyone who works under him but also he has a heart of gold that everyone loves and respects (sighs) i think it would be good for people who maybe didn't do a lot of reading and you Mm -hmm. were trying to get your child excited about the idea of reading because here's a lot of action and it's, it's super, a magical I world. I being super grippy. Yeah. yeah, like there's there's a good hook in this book. And I think my struggle as an adult is not just the fact that this is written quite a lower level than we're maybe accustomed to, mm-hmm. but also just that there isn't a lot of opportunities to pause and catch your breath or really care no. or get invested in these characters because they're really just this one's gruff and this one makes jokes and this one poops clay 
Yeah, I, I really felt the lack of characterization. I, I struggled with it. There's just not a lot here. And, you know, we were talking before air about not wanting to upset folks for whom this book means a great deal. I can understand really enjoying this book if you're looking for kind of a thrilly, grippy yarn. I can't mm -hmm. understand how this book would mean a great deal to someone. There's just nothing here. Wikipedia is like, the most essential theme is the conflict between good and evil. It's like, is it? Really? Because oh. I actually can't even tell if Artemis is good or bad. No. 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 <laughs> uh, I would say narcissism versus self-sacrifice <laughs> is maybe a better theme. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like the book is quite messy. Now, I should say I listened to it on audio, which I don't think helped because... Oh, that might be confusing yeah it was because the characters are all so one-dimensional that it's not ever actually clear also the dude who did the audiobook you know how the book opens and they're in vietnam mm -hmm. yeah he feels the need to do the accents oh no oh. yeah <laughs> yeah oh wow that is just a no-go mm. no Mm -mm, it was a lot. I will confess that, that may have played into it. But I did really find like, I didn't know who any of these people were or what the stakes were. Like I kept texting Joe and I would be like, so is it really just he wants the ransom money? Like, I wanted there yeah. to be something else. And there's all these allusions to something else, like all of this sort of drama and backstory with his father that never actually gets mm -hmm. addressed in any meaningful no. way. And that is so ham fisted in the film. Oh, wow. Yeah. But, but as a result of that, I just didn't, I don't know, there was nowhere for me to connect or hold on to here. And, and for me, it was a six hour audiobook, And it was really just I was just getting through it. Also, yeah. the stakes are very strange in another way. Like the fairies do all this work to keep themselves hidden. Mm -hmm. And they seem like very careful and at one with the earth, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And there's all this language yep. around the fact that the fairies loathe what human beings have done to the planet Earth, which I kind of dug, like I thought thematically, that was probably the most interesting thing happening in the book. Mm -hmm. um, but then when things aren't going quite their way, they bust out a biological bomb that kills all organic life. <laughs> and it's like, well, no, it only kills living creatures. So yes. it would keep the environment. So like Mother Nature is fine and wouldn't be unharmed, well, but apparently ish. living creatures are less important. Because when she goes back into the house, she's like, I'm thinking about all the dead bugs and mice and squirrels yeah. and rodents. And I'm like, wow, y'all love the planet. What is happening? <laughs> uh, we don't need as many bugs and mice <laughs> and rats anyway. And I'm still not fully sure I understand the mechanism by which Artemis survives it with the sleeping pill. I just, I think I tuned out for too long and then I didn't know what was happening. Yeah, I mean, I can try to explain to you if it's you really fine. care. I don't, it's okay. fine. Okay, yeah. And I do think at the end of the day, that was my biggest problem as well. It was hard to get invested, not just because Artemis himself comes off like a bit of a brat because he's mm -hmm. a 12-year-old who's a super genius. So mm -hmm. he cares not for the opinions of other people because he is always right. Mm -hmm. So that gets a little old. And, you know, to be fair, there are moments where he doubts himself and he questions, you know, am I actually doing the right thing? But he always proceeds. Like, he never actually changes his mind. <laughs> yep. Yep, that's a good point. But I think at the end of the day, the big issue that I had with this is that if you don't get invested in the action of the heist, 
there is nothing else there because this is the entire book. So when you said, oh, I thought there was going to be more, I thought the dad was going to be a bigger part of this. And I've gathered from doing a very cursory look that all does come to pass in successive books. But here, all we've got is this 12 hour standoff. And Mm -hmm. I didn't particularly care too, too much. And as a result, there's nothing else. Who are you supposed to be cheering for? Oh, it's unclear. That is un- completely unclear to me who, who I'm supposed to be cheering for. And in fact, Dev came down and was watching part of the movie with me. And he's last night and he's like, wait, are those the good guys or the bad guys? And I was like, I don't know. I've read the it's source material mark. and I don't know. Yeah. I do think it's a little more clear in the film, but definitely in the book. I think you're meant to cheer for both Artemis and Holly, but they're literal adversaries. Can I read you the USA Today review? It's really good. Sure. Yeah. All the familiar action flick cliches are trotted out. The backstabbing, politically astute subordinate, the seemingly loony but loyal computer expert, the dabs of family loyalty, the requisite happy ending, the utterly unsubtle plugs for the sequel, the big action scenes. Resist the hype, parents, booksellers, and librarians. This is not the new Harry Potter, nor is it good. (laughs) Accurate on all fronts, unfortunately. Uh, I die. I die. So what I'm hearing from you is you want to transition into talking about the movie. I do. I do. Okay. (laughs) We want to know everything about the man you work for. The man? Oh, Oh, no. This isn't about the father. This is about the son, Artemis Fowl. You've grown strong, son. And smarter than I ever imagined. Then take me with you. You're all I have now, Artie. There's just one very important thing I have to do. Authorities launched a worldwide manhunt for the famous collector. He is suspected to have been behind some of the biggest robberies ever. Dad! Hello? Your family has taken something of great value from us. Return it to me or I will destroy everything you love. You weren't supposed to see this yet. Your father is in a complicated profession. For years, he has protected powerful secrets that have kept mankind safe from the dangers of another world. It's time to face your destiny. Now look around, this is what they call greatness. But we are not alone in this. Mulch Diggums, just a talented giant dwarf. And I'm Holly Short, your ally on the other side. It's real. All right, save my father, save the world. Hold team ready, tell them we are dead. Scared, Artemis? I'm first scared to death. Okay, so you mentioned off the top that there were plans in place to develop this as a film for many years, and you are 100% correct. So I think this has been on the table for an adaptation nearly as long as it's been a book property. Mm-hmm. This originally was a planned theatrical release by director Kenneth Branagh. 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 <laughs> so... 
Disney had every intention of releasing this as a big summer blockbuster, and then they delayed it when COVID became an issue and theaters began to close. And I think a lot of people thought, okay, they're just going to wait. And when their theaters reopen, they will release it there. And then lo and behold, just a couple of weeks ago, they decided to release it onto Disney Plus basically for free. So if you have a Disney Plus subscription, you get this movie for free as of right now. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people immediately said, oh, that is probably not a great sign. I mean, I think people had their apprehensions even from the nature of the trailer, because one of the big distinctions is that in the book, Artemis is unapologetically villainous. Like he comes from this family of villains Mm -hmm. and he is himself the next generation of villains. Mm -hmm. In the film, this is a surprise. So Artemis Sr., who is played by Colin Farrell, is revealed to be a master art thief. So he's not even really a criminal. He's an art thief. It's a very big distinction if you start to think about it. Mm -hmm. And Artemis had no idea about his father. Didn't know about the existence of fairies or the people. He really didn't have any kind of indication that anything was happening except that he was filthy rich. Yeah. Well, except that his father is obsessed with fairies. Yes. Yeah. As we come to realize, because, uh, of course, his father was secretly working with a fairy. So there's a new character that's introduced that we never meet, but is talked about fairly regularly. And that is Holly's father. So she has joined the army so that she can, in part, do justice to her father's memory. And he was killed in action. And he was believed to be a traitor because he stole a magical MacGuffin called the Oculus. And of course, later on, it's revealed that the Oculus was actually stolen to protect it because it was being sought after by a disgraced fairy who was trying to steal it so that she could use it to rebuild the world. So kill men, bring fairies back to the surface and rule over all of them. Because of course, you can't just have a film that has a conflict. It has to be a world ending conflict. Okay, so I'll just run you through the cast really quickly. So we have a newcomer, Ferdia Shaw, as Artemis. He's kind of terrible. Oh my god, he's so... Thank you for saying that he's so bad. I don't like to diminish child actors. And, you know, we've got Harry Potter spoilers coming up. And re-watching those kids in their first couple of films is not always great. But this kid is legitimately bad. Yeah, he's extremely not good. Mm. I felt so bad, but I'm just like, I can't believe that they couldn't do better than this boy. Mm-hmm. Actually, much better than this boy is Lara McDonald, who plays Holly Short. I actually think she's not bad, although Holly doesn't really get to do a ton in this film. No, no, she doesn't. I mean, arguably nobody gets to do anything in this film because it suffers from a lot of the same problems as the book, which is mm-hmm. it's just action and crap going off and in this case special effects out the butt so much we still have butler played by nonso anansi people who watch game of thrones will recognize him from that he doesn't have a sister he has a niece which explains why she is so much younger yep. so juliet is played by tamara smart and i literally don't know why they included this character in this film because this character has no purpose at all Somebody has to deliver the food that one time, and also somebody has to sit in that chair that one time. And jump on that chandelier and nearly fall that one time. 
Juliet's character in the book is egregious because she doesn't get to do anything and she's incredibly stupid. Like that's her whole bit. And it's just awful to read because it's so one-dimensional. But then this person who the second time you see her, you forget who she is and why she's there. (laughs) Even worse. And she's supposed to be Artemis's best friend. Like if you read Mm -hmm. synopses of the film, they're like, Artemis lives with his bodyguard and his best friend. And you're like, what? What? (laughs) Who is that? (laughs) Did I miss a character? (laughs) One of the other big distinctions of the film is that it is bracketed by a bit of a framing device. We're touching base with Mulch Diggums, the dwarf who eats clay and poops it out. And he is played by Josh Gad in a truly atrocious wig. Mm-hmm. And he is narrating the story from a black ops MI6 prison in the middle of the water. For purposes unknown that even at the end of the film, you're like, so this whole thing was just to deliver a message to human beings, wherein the fairy people are revealed to humanity, despite the fact that was one of the big conflicts is that they can't find out. Mm -hmm. But then he's just going to spill the secret to people and then just get rescued. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. That makes no sense. sense And the other incomprehensible part is in the movie version Artemis's dad, Colin Farrell, is mm-hmm. kidnapped. Yes. And so we regularly see this shadowy female figure. Opal Cowboy. Yes. Yes. Who I didn't really realize was connected to the Ho Chi Minh City narrative. I didn't really put that all together until the end of the film. But three different people play that shadowy figure. Oh, really? Yes, Emily Brockman, Jessica Rhodes, and Charlie Cameron all physically portray Cowboy, who only ever looks over like, um, like, you know, the kind of catwalk thing that Darth Vader cuts Luke's hand off from, like one of those. And Mm -hmm. she looks over at the kidnapped Artemis Fell senior from there repeatedly. And that took three actors. She's only played by one actress. It's Hong Chao in an uncredited role that's her voice but her physical representation is three different actors okay yeah which why weird why 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 yeah i don't understand i don't understand why hong chao is uncredited i don't understand why you need three physical bodies and one voice (laughs) i mean maybe that's how many times they recut those scenes maybe So we looked at a Slate article that compares the book and the film, and apparently all of this Opal Cowboy garbagey crap with the dad and still being alive is actually from the second book called The Arctic Incident. So this is an attempt from the filmmakers to pull in elements from successive books. And I think because in part they realized that the dad stuff isn't really doing it in that first book. So they tried to say, well, let's set up a sequel by drawing on the second book in which the dad is revealed to still be alive and we can use this as a bit of a thread. The problem is, is that the film still doesn't care about that element. (laughs) No! In this case, Artemis is chasing this MacGuffin, which Opal Cowboy wants, but as soon as they discover it, that MacGuffin is just used to bring the dad back, and then Opal Cowboy goes, no, and then the movie ends, and it's not satisfying as a climax at all. Well, and that's, I think, one of the things that confuses me. So I actually watched the credits, which I never do, but I just didn't stop the movie in time. Okay. So Opal Cowboy exists as a character in the film. Yes. But the crediting 
is for shadowy female figure. Hmm. So okay. are they the same person or are they not the same person? I mean, I'm trying to remember if there are other shadowy figures that might be credited as such, but I would say actually that is the other issue that I have with the film. Like we praised the look of these special effects and like there's some fairly dazzling sequences many of them which then just get completely undermined by nonsensical action where you can't tell what the hell is going on yeah like it's almost astounding that kenneth branagh directed this because all i can think of was what is he thinking yeah I was shocked too. Like I'll make fun of Kenneth Branagh all day long because it's it's good fun. But <laughs> yeah, we're gonna do it next week. <laughs> we're gonna do it next week. But I actually like I respect a lot of his body of work, and you know my favorite films of his are the very quiet ones. Like his version of Much Ado About Nothing is my favorite version of Much Ado About Nothing, and it was like my favorite film when I was a pretentious high school student. But I don't understand anything about what he's doing when he has a big budget. Like I just feel like all of his big budget films are truly strange and overdone. And this film is very much, it's an overdone film with very little under the surface, I think. Yes. Yeah. I'm not surprised that he got this based on the strength of the Thor movie that he directed, which is an admittedly enjoyable film in part because the screenplay knows how to set up characters and deliver action sequences You know, he's already working at a disadvantage because this is a fairly thin story to work with and there's been attempts to goose it up in the film adaptation, but it's not there. Like, it's the screenplay is a hot mess in terms of, like, we still don't know who we're rooting for, the conflicts are still unclear, the stakes are still unclear, and then you throw all of this ridiculous... And I say ridiculous just because it doesn't look good visually. Like, the look of these buried people and the look of the weapons and that kind of stuff it's fantastical but it doesn't look good like i screenshot images when i said i was watching this and posted them online and out of context they look crazy pants to people yes they do so like when you're watching these giant ships full of fairies in their beetle weaponry armor it looks so silly And it's not like silly to adults, but convincing to children. It's like, what is anyone thinking with this? I also don't understand why the screenplay is so bad because they hired Connor McPherson to write the screenplay the second time this film went into production. Mm -hmm. He's an Irish playwright. I'm like, I'm not going to say he's like the greatest playwright of all time, but he's done some really good work. And again, really thoughtful, interesting representations of domestic life so i guess like irish connection is perhaps why he was drawn to the project or why they wanted him for it but there's nothing in his body of work that would suggest that he's like a blockbuster writer kind of guy and right i don't know man should i tell you that maybe some of the curiosity that comes with this is that the other person who worked on this screenplay is a guy by the name of I'm guessing Hamish McColl, and he is responsible for the Johnny English franchise. That's the Mr. Bean plays a spy. I liked the first one. Yeah, he didn't do that one. He did (laughs) Johnny English Reborn. (laughs) He did Mr. Bean's Holiday, which I think is a legitimately okay thing. He gets a screen story credit for Paddington, but that actually just means that he worked on the story, not the actual screenplay. Right. 
Yeah, I don't want to belabor the point. No. This movie is honestly, it's a hot mess. I don't think anybody escapes it. it. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend this. I put it's kind of a seeing is believing one star film because yeah. it is almost unbearable to sit through. I have a friend of mine who loves Colin Farrell, so she's been watching all of his movies. And she said, I got halfway through this film and had to get up and make cinnamon buns. And the cinnamon buns were the best part of this movie. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's truly astonishing to see Judy Dench this bad. Oh, yeah. You're going to watch it. Watch it for that. But I don't know. Okay, so Joe, mm-hmm. in the lead up to this conversation, I was a bit nervous about taking on a property I knew we were going to not enjoy. Yeah, I mean, I think we hoped that we might be able to see some of what people enjoyed so much when we read the book. I think we both had some pretty grave reservations about the film, and those were proven totally correct. (laughs) Yes, they were. (laughs) But I... hmm. Joe, we got our first bad review. I know. We've been sitting on this (laughs) bad news the entire recording. That's why we're like lower energy. And also because it's a Saturday and we're both tired. But (laughs) yeah, we got our first bad review. And it, well, why don't you read the review and we can talk a little bit about it. The title of the review review is Great Idea, But Hard to Listen to the Constant Hate. Two stars. So (laughs) I love the idea of comparing a YA text to its film TV adaptation. As a YA author and avid YA reader, I wanted to soak up every second of this podcast. That is until I very quickly realized that the hosts don't seem to love the stories they are consuming. Each time I see a title and get excited, I'm instantly dissatisfied by the negative reviews from the hosts. They even go so far as to say the books are a chore to get through, and there's lots of sighing. I want so much to love this podcast, but after a few months of dedicated listening, I'm done. So this review, Joe, perhaps (laughs) not coincidentally comes about 48 hours after our Songbirds and Snakes episode. (laughs) (laughs) After spending two weeks in the Hunger Games universe and finding an awful lot to critique about it. And it's funny because I've been really thinking about this review a lot this week. Okay. Because I actually don't think we do a lot of hating on texts. I think we have loved more than we have hated in the texts that we have covered on the show. That said, sometimes things are very worthy of negative critique. And both of us prefer to spend our time with texts we love, but we also try to mix up the show by including things that we don't know how we're going to feel about or not. I had no idea how I was going to feel about Artemis Fowl when I picked up the book. I had heard Mm -hmm. the film might have been in trouble, but I had no expectation that I would dislike the book. But I think it's really important to be able to talk about texts without having to love them. Like, I'm really struck in this review that the hosts don't seem to love the stories they're consuming. I mean, I think that that's fair. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, yeah. We're not particularly bothered by the fact that we got a negative review because, cool, whatever. Like, not everybody has to love the show. (laughs) Actually, (laughs) you do. Stop it. You're being precious. I'm very bothered. (laughs) Go on. People are allowed to not like the show or not like parts of the show. But I think what we're struggling with, we're not setting out to be a podcast that only talks about things that we like. And we're not in the business of saying, oh, well, everything is great, even if it has a problem. Mm -hmm. The simple fact is, is you and I 
always set out to do this with a bit of a critical eye because we're interested in what makes these books and these films successful or in some cases not successful and other people are completely free to disagree with us and you know we've heard back from a lot of different listeners who have said Mm -hmm. here's why i appreciated this book in a different way than you did and i would actually argue that's the reason we do the show is we want to have those conversations with listeners but to suggest that you have to like something or what we don't talk about it i mean that's just not the way that we would ever approach doing this show no and you know when we ask at the end of the show i mean sometimes we do it in a joking way but like if you really love artemis fowl i don't believe you really love the film i can't even go there but if you really love the book (laughs) it's obvious that a lot of people really love the book it's a massive bestseller i would like to know why And that doesn't mean that you have to justify it to us either. It's just, we're curious, like, oh, what is it that drew you to this? And we can't live outside of our subject position, right? So I am not a middle grade boy. It may be that this book is primarily for middle grade boys. And that's okay, because nobody's trying Mm -hmm. to sell this book to me. I could totally see picking this book up for Groot when he's big enough, for sure. Yeah. You know, I don't know. That review has been hanging around my neck all week, not because... I am deeply bothered by it, but because mm-hmm. I don't like the idea that our critiques are seen as hate. I can count on one hand the number of books we've read that I actually hated. And they're the ones that are, I feel, doing something violent, you know? like yeah. I think listeners know which ones those are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's an issue with conflating us being critical and maybe not liking something Mm -hmm. with hating it Mm -hmm. and I think that maybe also misunderstands the position of what the show is trying to achieve and maybe we just haven't done a good enough job of clarifying what we're doing but yeah at the end of the day my bigger takeaway from all of this is I hope that people are thinking through or questioning or analyzing the media that they're consuming. Like, I think Mm -hmm. that's actually the power of YA stories. They have the opportunity to connect with us. I think of the nostalgia conversation that we had around Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants a couple weeks ago. You know, people are connecting and interacting with these works in different ways at different times of their lives, and they mean different things to different people. And I think it's important to look at that and talk about why it does and doesn't work but i'd really say apart from maybe after and the editors of the kissing booth i don't think that we've delivered a ton of hate (laughs) no i don't think so either (laughs) i was uh, complaining about having to watch artemis fowl last night to friends of the show hannah mcgregor and lucia lorenzi who have both been on as guests I think Hannah said, it's just because Joe knows what makes for good podcasting. Because when we're mad about something, we tend to be funnier. That's the other thing, right? (laughs) Oh, yes. The number of reviews that we've received where people say, I like it when Brenna gets mad. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, it's funny. I don't set out to spend a great deal of time with properties that I don't like. It's not my approach as a teacher or as a scholar, and it's not my approach as a podcaster. But the flip side of that is that when we encounter a book with which we have serious problems or a film that is not successful, we have to talk about that. That's part of what the show is. And I think the show would be very strange if we just avoided all large fandom properties that we Mm -hmm. are worried about having issues with. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a value in discussing, okay, this is super popular. Why might that be? Mm -hmm. 
And actually, Brenna, I think that's maybe a good place to leave off as we think about where our next full-length book will take us. It's Harry Potter and the Chamber <laughs> of Secrets. We didn't realize J.K. Rowling was going to release that essay when we picked it. <laughs> yes, we're actually <laughs> recording out of order, so we've technically already recorded that episode. I think just to preface some of the conversations that we're having, in no way do we endorse anything to do with the recent controversies that jk rowling has initiated and continued to double and triple down on but i guess most importantly there's areas in the book that we think are incredibly valuable for Mm -hmm. contextualizing what is going on with that woman right now Mm -hmm. but i do want to make sure that i'm being exceedingly clear this is going to be the only time i'm going to say it folks Basically, please find a way to illegally acquire Harry Mm -hmm. Potter and the Chamber of Secrets because this woman does not deserve your money. Um, uh, Joe? Yes. Should we play YA Bingo? Yes. (laughs) Bingo! Not a good bingo. So I am going to say dead parent for the film version. Yes. Because the mom. We've got the mom, and we've also got Holly's dad. Holly's dad, that's right. I'm going to say mediocre white boy for Artemis Fowl II in the film. <laughs> and he's actually not mediocre in the book. No, he's actually very capable in the book. He has, in fact, quite a lot of what I might call a convenient expertise in the book. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? He's got about 10 of them. <gasps> right? Exactly. The film obviously has stunt casting. Don't know what they're doing oh, yes. to you, Judy Tench. Blink if you need help. Mm-hmm. Free Judy Dench. Hashtag. <laughs> um, I don't know what. Oh, CGI. 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 Yes. CGI. Absolutely. And in the film, I guess we have the unlikely friendship that emerges between Artemis and Holly. It's not really in the book, although she extends a kindness to him in the book. Yeah, but that feels more like a exchange of goods. Like, yeah, you yeah. help me, I will help you. It's very transactional. Agreed. Rich people problems, obviously. Your kidnapped art dealer father, probably a rich person problem. <laughs> well, and he, he has so much time on his hands that he can just get into trouble because they are so filthy rich. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously allusions to classic lit because of all the allusions to classic fairy literature. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I thought I could get through that one with a straight face. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think I can support that claim. No. Absolutely not. No, that's ridiculous. And I keep wanting to say dystopia because it's shot like a dystopia. But I will. Uh, the war scenes certainly are, yes. Yeah. yeah. This is actually the first time that we're going to have an entire column that goes unused, which is interesting. Which? The B. We've got nothing. B. The B, yeah. I can't give it to musicality. There are no dates. Mm-mm. There's not really any gaslighting, and it's not a dystopia. We could make a stretch and suggest that Artemis's father has been lying to him, but eh. Yeah. I'm not actually willing to really go to town for that one. Agreed. Yeah. So, right. uh, unfortunately, that is not a bingo line. Not a bingo. <laughs> And as we've already told you, our next full-length episode is Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. We might have a special guest. But before we get to that, our next mini-sode is Joe. It's a very exciting mini-sode, Brenna. We're going to be diving back into the world of Love, Simon. That was my high-pitched joy noise. (laughs) 
it was very good. Yes, folks, if you want to listen to us gush about something. Yeah, seriously, if you think we hate stuff, listen to any time we mention Becky Albertalli. <laughs> <laughs> it's not untrue. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to be checking out the new Hulu series, which is called Love, Victor, and it'll be available in just a couple of days. It's coming out on mm-hmm. Thursday. And the tagline for that episode is definitely, it's not perfect, but it is adorable. This is true. Yeah, and if folks are worried about trying to finish all 10 episodes before the new episode drops, <laughs> we're actually only going to cover the first half of the season, and then Brenna's going to lightly cue us about some things that happened in the back half. So don't worry if you haven't finished the whole thing. I fully couldn't help myself. I had to watch the whole thing. So that will right. give you a sneak peek about how I felt about it. There we go. <laughs> um, so if you do want to talk to us about whether or not we hate things too much, uh, the merits of Artemis Fowl and or if you know anything about judy dench's current whereabouts yes yes <laughs> then you can find us at hashtag hkhs pod on the twitters joe where can they find you i am at beast on my remote and that's the letter b and i'm at brenna c gray and that's gray with an a and you know since we talked about reviews joe we never do this but we might <laughs> remind people that they could rate and review us on on the old itunes or elsewhere yeah yeah that'd be nice and if you have longer stuff for us, hkhspod at gmail.com. Keep the Minnesota ideas coming. And we've already said where we're going, and we've already said how to find us, so I guess we're done. Yeah. All right. Well, until next time, I will see you on the page. And I will see you on the screen. <laughs>